this is True Consequences, a true crime and mystery podcast with stories based in New Mexico in the American Desert Southwest. Welcome to True Consequences. This is Eric Carter-Landine, your host. Thanks for joining us on our first ever episode of True Consequences. This project is a passion project of mine that I'm very excited to share with you. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, and uh, communicate with me on social media. You can find me on Instagram, True Consequences Pod. You can find me on Twitter at True Cons Pod. And you can find us on Facebook at True Consequences Pod. Today's episode deals with subjects of a graphic and somewhat triggering nature. Because of that, I've chosen not to overproduce this episode. I've opted instead to discuss this as if I was having a conversation. I've elected to not include dramatic music or anything of that nature because I feel that this case alone really is horrifying enough on its own. So the case that we're covering today is the Toy Box Killer. He's one of New Mexico's most notorious suspected serial killers and serial rapists. In 1999, when a lot of the news related to his crimes started to come out, I was living about 70 miles north of the town where this occurred. I have a very vivid memory of when all of this went down, and so I feel I have a unique perspective on the entire case. I've also talked with people who are involved in this case, done a tremendous amount of research. A lot of the information that I found can be found online, on uh, several websites, ThoughtCo, Murderpedia, but the bulk of my research came from a book called Consequences by J.E. Sparks. I will mention this several times in the episode. If you're interested in learning more about this case, it's probably one of the most comprehensively done true crime books that I've related to one specific case. Okay, without further ado, let's get into this. Thanks again for joining True Consequences. We're going to talk about David Parker Ray, who is New Mexico's most notorious serial rapist and presumed serial killer. The story's going to get a little gross and very intense, so I apologize ahead of time because it's going to be a little bit rough to get through. And I've actually been delaying as long as possible recording this episode because it's so intense and because I really don't want to talk about it. So there's a lot of articles online you can find, you know, there's one on ThoughtCo, um, there's a lot of local news articles, but a lot of the information I got was from the book Consequences, so I just want to say that. In March of 1999, a series of horrifying events completely rocked the small town of Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Truth or Consequences is also known as TRC. Before it was called Truth or Consequences, it was called Hot Springs, New Mexico. And actually, the town changed its name to Truth or Consequences for a radio contest. There was a game show back in the 50s, I believe, that was called Truth or Consequences. They had a contest. Whichever city changed their name to the name of the game show won a recording of that show in that town. And Truth or Consequences is the one that won. So weird name, even weirder things that happened there with David Parker Ray. Truth or Consequences is a small town in south central New Mexico. It's about 140 miles from Albuquerque, the biggest city in New Mexico. It is in the desert, so there's a lot of 
tumbleweeds, cactuses, um, but there's also some mountains. And actually just northeast of Truth or Consequences, there's a lake, a man-made reservoir called Elephant Butte State Park. And it's called Elephant Butte because in the middle of the lake, there is a rock formation that actually looks like an elephant. It is the largest lake in New Mexico, and it's very popular among local residents for water recreation, fishing, camping, all that kind of stuff. Tier C actually only has about 6,000 people. So it's a very small town. It's just off of Interstate 25, and it's actually in the Chihuahuan Desert, which is a huge desert that goes from uh, New Mexico and Arizona, I think part of California, all the way into Mexico. So it's really hard to understand that area unless you've actually been there. Mexico is considered the high desert, which means that it has a high elevation. Uh, for example, Albuquerque is about a mile above sea level. There's a lot of sand and cactus and lizards and all those things, snakes as well. But there are also large mountains. In fact, the Rocky Mountains go all the way through the entire state from the north end all the way down into the south end of the state. The Rio Grande River also snakes through the entire state. Elephant Butte Lake was constructed by the Army Corps of Engineers and they built a dam on the Rio Grande River which created the lake. You would expect it to be a very safe place to live, a safe place to grow up, a quiet town, but actually it harbored some of the most gruesome and unthinkable things New Mexico had ever seen at the hands of David Parker Ray, the toy box killer. Let's talk about David. He was born in Berlin, New Mexico on November 6th, 1939 to Cecil and Nettie Ray, two poor ranchers from Valencia County, which is the county where Berlin, New Mexico is. Berlin is about 30 minutes south of Albuquerque on I-25. It's a very small town as well. Uh, very rural, a lot of farmland. Um, Cecil, David's father, was an abusive and violent man. He was also an alcoholic. He showed very little interest in the lives of his children. Um, he had two children, David as well as David's sister. David's parents divorced when he was 10 years old. And his father moved away fairly soon after the divorce. For some reason, David was sent to live with his grandparents. So his mom dropped him off at her parents' house, and left. So you have to imagine that he probably felt rejected at 10 years old. His grandparents were said to be very strict disciplinarians, and they were not known for being affectionate. In fact, they were really known for making sure that David, David and his sister both looked well-presented whenever they were out, even school. He... Uh, would often be forced to button his shirt all the way up to his neck. And unfortunately for him, back then, that was not in fashion. And so he would get teased a lot because of the way he looked. So around 12 years old, David was known to set off homemade explosives in the woods near his grandparents' home in Mountain Air, New Mexico. So Mountain Air is probably an hour and 20 minutes east of Belen, New Mexico. It's a small mountain town. I don't know the population offhand, but it's not very large. There's not very many people there. I would guess it's less than a thousand people that live there. So something interesting about David Parker Ray, uh, I know that often you'll see 
with some serial killers that they have some head trauma early on in life and bedwetting. Um, there's no reports of any of that in his childhood, but again, there's not a lot available related to his childhood, so it's hard to know if any of that actually happened or not. A childhood friend remembered David as a shy teenager, especially around girls. He was often bullied in school, and because of this, he turned to drinking and drugs. David's father was in and out of his life from the time he was dropped off at his grandparents' house. When he came, a lot of the books that I read talk about him just torturing David and his sister, abusing them, uh, mentally abusing them, and then he would leave several bondage and S&M pornography magazines for David and then take off. By all accounts, these magazines were the beginning of his fascination in the BDSM lifestyle. And in his teens, he started exploring sadomasochism and experimenting. Um, his sister even discovered some drawings and photos that he had hidden showing women tied up and tortured. She never mentioned this to anyone because the subject was well beyond taboo in the 50s. So sometime around high school, he started to show a natural talent for mechanics and started working on cars. His grades really weren't that great, so this was a really good opportunity for him to create a career for himself. So once he finished high school, he actually started being a mechanic full-time. And he married shortly after high school and had one son. So apparently, David shared with his first wife that when he was a teenager, he raped and murdered a woman that he had tied to a tree. That's never been confirmed. It's never been substantiated, but that's what she claims. Shortly after his marriage, he joined the army, where he continued to work as a mechanic. He was honorably discharged from the military. His first marriage failed shortly after he came back from his service, and he attempted marriage three more times. He also had a daughter, and her name was Glenda Jean Ray, but she went by Jesse. Jesse Ray would soon become a big part of the story of the toy box killer, but we'll get to that later. So it's said that David and Glenda had a very close relationship. We'll call her Jesse because it'll get confusing if we don't start doing that. Um, so David and Jesse had a very close relationship and she was aware of his dark proclivities. Apparently, she contacted the FBI in 1986 in an attempt to turn him into the authorities. But the Bureau was unable to act because according to them, the claims were too vague and lack specific information. And then it seems as time passed, she was able to put those resentments aside and rebuild her relationship with her father, so much so that she actually lived with him uh, at one point. There's some other things that happened between the point where Jesse you know, tried to turn him in the FBI and he moved to Elephant Butte. One of the books I read, it's called Consequences, it's by J.E. Sparks. It's a really good book. If you'd like to read it, I'd encourage you to check it out. There's a lot of misinformation out there about David Parker Ray. This person is a New Mexican. I feel like they have uh, some good information. A lot of what they gathered was through interviews in person with a lot of the people that were involved in this uh, case, whether they were friends of the family or family members or even the uh, law enforcement that was involved in this case. So check it out, Consequences, J.E. Sparks. Um, so J.E. Sparks talks about a time when David moves to Phoenix, Arizona, 
Um, he's working on cars. He's working for this body shop and or mechanic shop. And his boss, everybody there loves him. They think he's doing great work. And he has some sort of falling out with his boss. And I didn't really get to these specific details, but essentially uh, that boss disappeared. Nobody knows where he went. And I believe, I might be wrong, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but I believe that they did eventually find his body in Elephant Butte Lake, which is very far from Phoenix, uh, probably seven, eight hours away from Phoenix, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So it's thought that that's, that man was definitely one of his victims and probably one of his early victims. Um, then after that, he moved somewhere outside of Grants, New Mexico for a little while. Not a lot is known about that time. As we look at the timeline of David Parker Ray, the next period, it occurs in the 1990s. It's important to note that in the 90s in New Mexico, we'd never really experienced anything like this before. In fact, these types of crimes were things that happened in other places, bigger cities, New York, Chicago, those types of places. So when the news broke about the Toy Box Killer, it was a shock. Then he moved to Elephant Butte. He settled there, which is a small town just northeast of TRC. It's right on the lake. And he also took a job working at the State Parks Department as a mechanic. So David was known to be a frequent customer of the Blue Water Saloon, which is a watering hole in TRC, where it was. And it was considered to be a singles bar in the area. Country music and pool kept the locals coming. And according to the Sierra County Sentinel, in its heyday, the popular bar had hosted up-and-coming country artists as well as serving as a community gathering place to meet, dance, and have a cool brew on a hot day. So David had actually used this bar as one of his many hunting grounds. David was known to have several accomplices. And one, as you probably have guessed by now, was his daughter, Jessie Ray. Jessie was known to help her dad find women to abduct so that he could torture them. It's horrifying just to think about that, but the reality of what happened is even worse than what you can imagine. So Jessie had a friend named Dennis Royancy, and they partied together. They hung out all the time. And his ex-girlfriend, Marie Parker, was one of David Parker Ray's victims. So I guess he was angry with her. Um, she was struggling with drugs and alcohol addiction. She had two children. At one point, she was homeless. She was living by the lake in a tent on the beach property that David Parker Ray owned. I'm not really sure exactly what happened, but basically, Jesse, Dennis, and Marie all went to David's house. David tied her up, tortured her, and then somehow convinced Dennis to murder her. So Dennis killed Marie, his ex-girlfriend. Marie Parker, even though she shares a similar name, is not related to David Parker Ray. She was just in that circle of Jesse and Dennis and all those partiers down in TRC. And so David convinces Dennis to kill her. And Dennis admitted to this after everything came out. They dispose of her body. When Dennis confessed to everything, he told the cops that he would lead them to where the body was. But when they went to find the body, it wasn't there. When he confessed, he admitted 
that he and Jesse kidnapped Marie, took her to the toy box, and then after three days of torture, uh, Ray and Jesse told him to kill her, which he did by strangling her with a rope. And then they threatened to kill him if he ever told anybody about it. I want to talk about Kelly Garrett now, and this is a horrible story, unfortunately. They all are, um, but I feel really bad for for Kelly. So Kelly was married to a Navy sailor um, that she met. He was from TRC. His family lived there, and um, they fell in love, and they got married really fast. And there was a little bit of drama in their circles because there was another woman who was kind of after him. And she continued to, like, try to seduce him, even though he was married to Kelly Garrett. So this is going to get a little bit personal, but Kelly had a condition which made intercourse very painful for her. And so she really wasn't able to have sex with her husband, which made him very angry. And one night, they got into a huge fight about it. And she decided she was going to go and hang out with her friend, Jesse Ray, and all of their friends to blow off some steam. So she goes to the Blue Water Saloon. She really isn't drinking the whole night. She's just kind of hanging out with her friends, listening to music. And then after a little while, somewhere around 9 or 10 at night, she decides to have a beer. She has a beer, and she comes to right outside of her in-law's house. She's bruised. She's sore. Um, she doesn't remember what happened. And David Parker Ray is actually dropping her off there. So um, he's kind of standing back, listening to her as she's talking to her in-laws and her husband. And she's telling them something along the lines of, I don't know what happened. We were at the Blue Water Saloon. I don't remember anything. I don't feel good. I'm very sore. I feel like I've been attacked. And after he hears her say that, he walks up to the uh, front steps of the house and says, I found her wandering along the beach at Elephant Butte Lake. And she looked pretty messed up. I think she was on drugs. Um, <clears throat> so I figured I would bring her home for you guys. And they thanked him. And then... All hell broke loose. Uh, her husband doesn't believe her. That she doesn't remember anything. The in-laws don't believe her. They accuse her of being a drug addict. Um, they start yelling at her. And they kick her out of the house. So she was missing for three days. And David Parker Ray has bragged about the fact that he knows how to brainwash people. He also was known to drug his victims heavily so that they wouldn't remember anything. Kelly's in-laws and husband are so mad at her that uh, she actually returned to her hometown in Colorado. And she was basically told that, you know, they were going to get a divorce, which they did. And then uh, the other woman who was kind of after him ended up like kind of hooking up with him later. But luckily she survived, but she didn't remember anything. And we'll actually get back to her later. Okay, so now uh, there's another victim that I want to talk about. Uh, Angelica Montano was another victim. Um, she was a sex worker 
she was abducted, tortured uh, for about three days, and then drugged and left by a highway out in the desert. A police officer found her and picked her up, partially because she was a sex worker, partially because she was drugged. He really, he really wasn't too excited to like file her complaint. There was ever, never any follow-up about what happened, but she did remember who abducted her and she remembered who it was, where he lived. Like she gave very specific information. And then they asked her if she wanted to, you know, formally file a complaint. She said no. So they just kind of left her alone. And actually at that point he had a new accomplice. Uh, Her name was Cindy Hindi. So Cindy is actually from, uh, I believe Washington state. She was a drug addict and she was in a very abusive relationship. She was facing some drug charges in Washington. So that coupled with the fact that she was in this abusive relationship, she decided to leave and she moved to Elephant Butte, New Mexico for some reason. Um, She had a very hard childhood. She was molested at a young age. She was abused and it's just a horrible story. Her life was not good to begin with. Um, But at one point she somehow hooks up with David Parker Ray and they start dating. And he basically tells her a lot about what he's into, all his S&M and um, all his fantasies. And she, for some reason, is like, cool, I'm on board, sign me up. So they move in together into his uh, mobile home. And she now becomes the other accomplice in this story and helps him to abduct women and torture them. In fact, she was involved in the Angelica Montano abduction. Cindy and David, they start really ramping things up. And at this point, I guess I should probably talk about the toy box and some of the things that he created. So as a mechanic, Um, for the state parks department and is a very skilled mechanic, he actually created a lot of uh, homemade torture devices. And we'll get into some of those here in a minute. He even created something that actually wasn't a torture device. It was a uh, mobile light station that was very cheap to produce for the state parks. And so it was so well received that he actually got an award for it it's actually the same mobile light station that they use in all the state parks in New Mexico still to this day uh, because it was so much more expensive to buy them from a manufacturer. It's like a little cart that has a generator and it has tall uh, frame and then two lights on top of it that are really bright, but it's to provide light in those remote areas where there's no electricity, basically. But he also used his talents for some very insidious purposes. He bought a small tractor trailer, box trailer kind of situation, and he rigged it up. This is his toy box. He alleges that he invested about $100,000 into this trailer. This is not his mobile home. This is a tractor trailer, Um, not a full-size like 18-wheeler one, but a small box. It was homemade, so you can't really compare it to anything. But he could attach it to his truck and drive it wherever he wanted. He soundproofed it. So there were those foam egg crate things on the wall. He had 
a homemade gynecological chair that he built with stirrups and everything. He had restraints, pulleys, whips, sexual devices, homemade dildos. He even had a homemade device that would electrically shock his victims with clamps that attached to their nipples. Inside the box, there was a, a poster or that said, Welcome to Satan's Den. He also had several drawings of women who were being tortured. He also had photos put up of women being tortured and bound. There was just, it was just a nightmare. There were hooks, paddles. Yeah, there was actually a hook system hanging from the ceiling where he could suspend his victims from the ceiling. It was just horrifying. I'm hoping to have an interview with this person soon. We've been kind of playing phone tag. But if I can swing this, this will be an upcoming episode. So Cynthia V. Hill was a sex worker in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She was another person who had a very difficult life and was basically just trying to survive on the streets of Albuquerque in the 90s. So this is in 1999. Cynthia's on Central Avenue working, and she is talking to a friend who says, hey, there's a guy here who's asking for you. So he takes her to this RV, and in the RV there's a a man who she describes as an older guy. He seemed harmless. He didn't really seem like he would have been that strong. Um, So she got into the RV and started talking to him. And as they're talking, he pulls out a badge and says that he's with the police and that he's arresting her for solicitation of sex. And as she tries to get out of the RV, Cindy Hindi comes up from out of the back and electrocutes her with a cattle prod. So as she's stunned by that, they tie her up, they gag her, and they drive her from Albuquerque to Elephant Butte. She is struggling to get untied. She's actually tied to one of the drawers in the RV. She manages to wiggle it enough that the handle comes off and she attempts to escape. So they stop Uh, They beat the shit out of her. They electrocute her a few more times, and they tell her that if she tries to do that again, they're going to kill her. So they drive her to the mobile home where David and Cindy Hindi live. When David Parker Ray abducted his victims, he exposed them to an audio recording of himself. The recording itself is very difficult to listen to. It's very long. It consists of two sides of a cassette tape. I'm going to read you part of the transcript here. You can find the entire transcript on our Patreon page for our Patreon subscribers, but I'll read you part of it. Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained. Gagged. Probably blindfolded. You are disoriented and scared too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while at least, You need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. 
it is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you have been kidnapped and what's going to happen to you and how long you'll be here. I don't know the details of your capture because this tape is being created July 23rd, 1993 as a general advisory tape for future female captives. The information I'm going to give you is based on my experience dealing with captives over a period of seven years. If at a future date there are major changes in our procedures, the tape will be upgraded. That's all I'm going to read. It continues on for a long time and it gets very graphic. Again, it's not for the faint of heart, so if you are easily triggered or if this type of information bothers you, I would encourage you to not read the transcript. But if you are interested, it will be on our Patreon page. So Cynthia V. Hill awoke from her drug-induced state after being kidnapped to this tape recording playing. I can't imagine the level of fear and horror she must have felt hearing her captor's words, explaining in a matter-of-fact way the ways that he's going to torture her. Let's go back to the story. So um, they tie up Cynthia V. Hill. Um, they put a metal steel dog collar around her neck with a heavy chain that's tied to a bolt on a, like a lock. She's tied up. Her hands and, and feet are restrained and she's tortured. So she was taken to the mobile home. She was tied up and she was tortured. She's trying to like think about how she can get out of that situation, but it seems pretty impossible. She's there for a few days and one day David comes out of his bedroom and he's wearing a park ranger uniform, which I'm guessing is probably the badge that she, he showed her whenever he abducted her. He basically tells Cindy Hindi to keep an eye on her, make sure that she doesn't get loose. While he goes to work, Cynthia, this whole time, is really just trying to figure out what she can do. At some point in the day, Cindy gets on the phone. Cindy Hindi gets on the phone and starts having a conversation with somebody. Cynthia notices on the coffee table near where she's tied up is a ring full of keys. And so she's sure that these are the keys to the lock that's holding her uh, bolted to the floor. So while Cindy is distracted, Cynthia uses her foot to pull the coffee table closer to her, slowly. The whole time she's watching Cindy Hendy, making sure that she doesn't see her because she knows that all hell's going to break loose if she gets caught. Cindy notices that Cynthia's trying to get the keys. Cynthia actually gets the keys in her hand and Cindy starts trying to beat the living shit out of Cynthia. She smashes a lamp over Cynthia's head. Cynthia sees an ice pick nearby, grabs it, stabs Cindy Hindi in the neck, and then continues to fight until Cindy's like basically incapacitated. She finds the key, she unlocks herself, and she runs out of the mobile home completely naked with a dog collar around her neck and a chain hanging from it. She goes running down the road and an elderly woman drives by. She sees her. Cynthia starts freaking out saying, help me, they're trying to kill me. Oh my God, she's got blood all over her. She's just like a huge mess. Um, the woman freaks out and drives away, but calls the cops. Another car comes, same thing. The person freaks out and drives away. 
and they call the cops. So we've got two police reports right away. Um, Cynthia continues running and she notices there's a house, a mobile home with their door open and she runs right in the fucking house, completely naked, dog collar on, blood everywhere, crying, screaming, hysterical. And there's an elderly couple that live there. The husband goes and gets a robe, covers her up. They listen to her. They have her call the cops. So anyway, she goes into this house. This couple like must've been godsends for her, like the sweetest people ever. And uh, they help her. They call the cops. They give her some water. They get her, you know, cover her up. And and so basically, Cindy calls David Parker Ray at work. He comes over and they're fucking driving down the road looking for her when the cops pull them over. So they tell the cops this elaborate story that Cynthia is a heroin addict And yeah, they had her tied up, but that's because they were helping her detox and they were just worried about her. And the cops are like, yeah, don't fucking believe you. So the park rangers actually from Elephant Butte Lake get to the elderly couple's home before the police do. They have jurisdiction there because where Elephant Butte is, you know, the park rangers also have jurisdiction. So they beat the police there. And she sees this park ranger coming and she flips out because she thinks that they're all in it together because he's wearing that uniform. She won't talk to them. And in fact, she wouldn't talk until the police showed up. And then she and she like kept clawing at her dog collar, trying to get it off. And she was screaming. And so they took her to the hospital. Um, They checked her out. She was heavily drugged. Um, they actually had to remove the dog collar with like a metal grinder or something. They couldn't, they couldn't get it off. Um, so she actually had to stay like that for at least a day before they could actually get that collar off of her neck. But she is a fucking badass. Her will to survive and just the way that her mind worked in that situation. So amazing. And I'm so I was so happy to hear that she was able to get away, even though it was a fucked up situation. And actually she is the reason that David Parker Ray was arrested and charged. So, um, so Cindy Hindi was arrested and sentenced to 36 years as agreed to in a plea bargain. And she testified against David Parker Ray in the trials. Um, Dennis Roy Yancey received two 15-year sentences for second-degree murder, as well as conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. He actually only served 11 years and then was released, but he violated his parole, so now he's back in prison until 2021. Jesse Ray was found guilty of kidnapping, sexual torture, and was sentenced to nine years in prison six of which could be served on parole. The state decided they would try David Parker Ray separately for each victim that they knew about. So that'd be Cynthia V. Hill, Angelica Montano, and Kelly Garrett. So the story about Kelly Garrett, um, while this was breaking, and if you lived in New Mexico during that time, you knew all about this because it was everywhere. Everybody was freaking out. Um, I lived actually an hour north of TRC, 
in a town called Socorro. And I remember how scared everybody was. The whole town was on edge because of this. It was, it just really rocked the entire state because we'd never really experienced anything like this in the state prior to him. The media coverage was so intense throughout the state and everyone was freaking out about it because it was an insane story. So while all this media was happening, they found a video of a victim that they couldn't identify because she had like something over her face, but there was a tattoo on her leg or foot. And the police shared that image of the tattoo all over the media. And Kelly Garrett's former in-laws recognized the tattoo. So they call the police and they say, we know who this person is that you're trying to identify. And um, the police get a hold of Kelly Garrett. She was Kelly Van Cleve back then. They talk to her and in one of the episodes on Investigation Discovery about this, she talks about how like everything just came flooding back to her memory when the police called her. Like everything that she had suppressed and everything that the drugs had suppressed. And she remembered all of it. And so he's tried for her abduction and torture as well. So we have Cynthia B. Hill, Angelica Montano, and Kelly Garrett. He uh, later agreed to a plea deal, and he was sentenced to 224 years. So he was never charged with murder because there were never any bodies found. Except for the one, and they really couldn't prove that he did that. According to Cindy Hindi, she told the courts and the police that David Parker Ray told her that he had been killing, raping, and torturing women for 40 years. And that he told her that nobody would ever find any bodies. So there's mine shafts. There's caves. There's limitless places where bodies could be hidden um, aside from the lake. And the lake was dredged in the early 2000s. Nothing was found. No remains were found. So that's still really unknown. You know, nobody really knows how many women he killed. They do know that his... M.O. was to abduct at least one woman a month, keep them for a few days. And according to his daughter, he would either kill them or he would sell them into sex slavery in Mexico. The state asked the Parks Department and the police to dredge the lake to see if there were any remains that could be attributed to him. But nothing was found. So this part sucks. When in May 2002... David Parker Ray was being held prior to being transferred to prison to serve a sentence. Uh, he was actually on his way to an interrogation with state police in Lee County, which is Hobbs, New Mexico. That's where they were holding him at the correctional facility there. And he died of a massive heart attack. So he never even served one day of his 224-year sentence. He died before he could even start it. 
and Cindy Hindi was released from prison this year, 2019. So she's free. Jesse Ray's free. Nobody knows where she is. Uh, Cindy Hindi, nobody knows where she is. I'm sure she probably changed her name and, and moved far away. Um, and the only person that actually is in prison right now is Dennis Roy Yancey. He'll be out in two years. And uh, it's a horrible, awful story. Um, the only good part of it, which I wouldn't even call good, but is is the story of Cynthia V. Hill's heroism and incredible strength to be able to not only survive that, but escape and lead the police to this horrible monster and stop him after 40 years. The FBI as you can imagine, raided the property that David Parker Ray lived on, as well as the toy box. And they did find dozens of trophies that he kept over the years. Jewelry, articles of clothing, wallets, sunglasses. And if you go to the FBI website and search David Parker Ray, you will find all the images of uh, all of the trophies. So maybe, you know, there's somebody who lost somebody that they know. If you're familiar with some of their belongings, you might be able to go on there and see and maybe help identify some of his victims. I'm actually going to play a clip at the end of this from the FBI. They created a podcast to discuss this very topic. And if you go to trueconsequences.com, you can also see some of those images there. Um, there's some more information. If you uh, go to our Patreon page, which is uh, which can be found by searching True Consequences on Patreon, if you become a subscriber of the two higher levels, you will have access to some additional research and things that I found um, that I'll be placing on there as well. So if you want more information on this case, you can definitely go there also. And... That is the horrible, awful, terrible story of David Parker Ray, the toy box killer. A bracelet, a blouse, and hundreds of other items. The FBI needs your help pairing those belongings with the rightful owners. A lot of these may have belonged to victims who were tortured or possibly killed. I'm Molly Halpern of the Bureau, and this is Wanted by the FBI. The items were found among the possessions of David Parker Ray, a man convicted of kidnapping and torturing two women in New Mexico. He died in prison in 2002. FBI spokesperson Frank Fisher. We suspect he may have abducted as many as 40 women from several states, and we get that from his own journals. Many may not remember they were raised victims because he forced them to take amnesia-inducing drugs. Maybe they'll look at a picture of something that they owned that was in his possession. They may call us and say, I'm remembering more and more about something, and then they may give us a crucial piece of information. To see the pictures of the items, visit FBI.gov. If you have information on this case for the FBI and its law enforcement partners, contact your local FBI office. Thanks again for listening to True Consequences. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please check back with us as we will be releasing new episodes every Monday. If you have ideas for submissions for this show of cases that you're interested in, please feel free to email them to me at trueconsequencespod at gmail.com or you can submit them at trueconsequences.com 
on our contact form. You can also find additional information related to this episode and every episode on our website, as well as our many social media channels. True Consequences is listener supported. If you would like to support us in our cause to bring awareness of crime issues in New Mexico, please go to our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com and look for True Consequences. There are different tiers and every little bit counts. Since we are fully listener supported, we definitely appreciate all of our listeners. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. Love to hear your feedback on the show and anything that you'd like to see going forward. Thanks again, and uh, stay safe, New Mexico.